Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about cooperative businesses. I'm Asa Marshall with Cooperatives First, an organization that promotes cooperative business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For more information on us and what we do, visit cooperativesfirst.com. If you need resources for starting your own co-op, check out coopcreator.com. This is a great resource site that has everything you need to get a co-op up and running. We often hear that co-ops have a difficult time obtaining adequate financing. However, we recently came across some Stats Canada data that paints a slightly rosier picture. According to the data, when existing co-ops apply for loans, they receive that financing almost 100% of the time. We wondered about these numbers and what they tell us about co-ops and financing, and if there was something we were missing. So for this episode, we spoke to two co-op scholars and fellows at the Canadian Centre for the Study of Cooperatives to get their insights. Dr. Marc-André Pigeon is an assistant professor at the Johnson Shoyama Graduate School of Public Policy and the director at the Centre for the Study of Cooperatives, both at the University of Saskatchewan. He holds a PhD in mass communications from Carleton University and has worked in a number of economics and policy-related positions. His research interests include the study of cooperatives, behavioral economics and psychology, income distribution, money and banking, and fiscal and monetary policy. Dr. Dion Poehler is a social scientist and associate professor at the Center for Industrial Relations and Human Resources at the Rotman School of Management Department of Organizational Behavior and Human Resources at the University of Toronto. Dion is also a research fellow at the Center for the Study of Cooperatives at the University of Saskatchewan, where she previously held positions at both the Edwards School of Business and the Johnson Shoyama Graduate School of Public Policy. Her research covers topics on work and employment, unions and labor relations, organizational governance, and co-op development. She was also a founding board member of Cooperatives First. So I first asked both Dion and Marc-Andre about this initial contradiction we saw in the data. If we hear so often that co-ops have trouble accessing funds, why do the stats indicate that debt financing is readily available for cooperatives? Is it a myth that financing is difficult for co-ops? They both pointed out that there may be more to think about. So I think there is a sense that co-ops have a harder time accessing financing. And I, I can talk a little bit about why it's not exactly a myth, but I do think it's probably overstated. Um, and I think maybe the overstatement comes from two different places. First, I think that enterprise co-ops, uh, they do generally have greater constraints with regard to financing through equity. Most, if not all of co-ops initial financing comes through selling memberships and and or debt financing. Um, however, members don't receive a financial return based on their initial financial investment in the co-op like someone would if they invested in the creation of a sole proprietorship mm -hmm. um, or another private form of business. And if the co-op's a nonprofit, it may also initially get a grant from the government, but its ongoing sustainability would depend on the same kinds of things other nonprofits depend on um, in terms of um, accessing financing, and many nonprofits struggle to access financing. The second reason that this might be sort of a, a sense or a, maybe even a myth that gets overstated a bit is that co-op startups do have a harder time accessing financing than other forms of businesses, um, mainly because business models that rely on collective models of entrepreneurship are less well known than other forms of entrepreneurship. That being said, uh, it is interesting that this recent research has, has suggested that co-ops are very successful in accessing debt financing when they apply for it. So do you have any insights about why co-ops might be so successful when they when they access or attempt to access financing? 
So I think um, a lot of theory and research about co-ops uh, has historically suggested that risk aversion is an inherent attribute of the co-op business model. Uh, in other words, co-ops are less risky and, and their members are seen as, as more risk averse than in other forms of enterprises. Mm-hmm. When co-ops apply for debt financing, people recognize that that they're highly risk averse. And so if they're applying for debt financing, it's likely been very well vetted already and, and um, that co-op members are much more risk averse. And so they wouldn't be applying for this debt financing if they didn't feel like it was a really good investment. But then one other thing I'll say is that co-ops might have one additional advantage in terms of financing. They can sometimes borrow equity from their own members Mm -hmm. um, who have built up equity in the co-op as well. So that's also, especially in large established co-ops that have a lot of members with a lot of equity, that can actually be an additional advantage for co-ops as well. So my first thought on this, and you know, my background's in the credit union sector, so Mm -hmm. I kind of think of this from the lender's perspective. And what does a lender look for when they're making a loan? They're looking for an organization that has a viability and that they can get their money back. Ultimately, they want their money back with interest, right? So they're going to look at your business plan. They're going to look at your uh, profitability. They're going to look at your governance. They're going to try to understand how you're working as an organization. Um, And so, you know, the only conclusion I can draw is that, you know, those things are kind of checking. They're checking those boxes as they're going through that kind of um, process. There are data and there's been research around longevity of cooperatives right and you know the classic study out of Quebec which is after five years six out of ten cooperatives are still around four out of ten non-cooperatives are around right so you you kind of wonder how much do we think lenders know that Uh, my guess is and having been in that space not at all right how much are they familiar with academic literature zero so I don't think that's kind of having any bearing on this although it, it should in a general sense and this is something I was thinking about it's a useful finding, and there's other findings similar to that elsewhere. Uh, it's a useful finding in countering any narrative that would say that co-ops are inherently more risky. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to make or break a decision to lend a given cooperative alone because they're going to assess that cooperative on the basis of its plan. Mm-hmm. So I think at best what the research can do is check a bias against cooperatives, and that's something, and that's important, right? But I think at the end of the day, the actual loan decision is going to be a function of the quality of the application. So I think there's that. Um, I don't think there's this kind of deep well of understanding about cooperatives that's kind of giving them this interest in lending to them. I really have not encountered that. Even on the credit union side, you know, I used, I've been to probably 10 conferences with lenders, the lending community on the credit union side. And even then, there's pretty sketchy knowledge of the cooperative sector in, in a kind of detailed sense, right? They, they might get it in the sense they work at a credit union and so they know roughly what it is, but it's not like they've spent a career thinking, what's a cooperative and how is it different? And that's not in their head. They're really looking at it from how am I going to get my money back Mm -hmm. with our money, with interest. And so I think that's, that's the key. Now, the other thing that they may observe, and I think you may see in cooperatives that you wouldn't see in other organizations quite so much, is uh, a greater preponderance of retained earnings. You know, Mm -hmm. the cooperatives will tend to hold back more capital precisely because they can't go and float an equity offering on a market. You know, they can't put a listing on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Or if they do, it's really going to corrupt their kind of cooperative model or challenge it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think with that in mind, they, they tend to hold back more capital. It's certainly the case for credit unions, but I think it's true in general. And so when a lender looks at that, they're like, okay, I've got something against which I can lend. Mm-hmm. If there's if the loan starts going bad, these guys, or if they're in trouble, they've got a deep pool of capital to 
kind of draw on if things are getting a little risky. So I think that's also there. Now, the other thing that I, you know, like I said, this opened a lot of doors for me. One of the things I'd like to understand a little more about the data is what kind of loans we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Are they working capital loans or are they kind of longer term loans? And that would be, I think that would um, help us make more sense of these data. The other thing I was thinking was, um, what are the terms of the loans? Mm -hmm. So there, the story about risk may still be there if the rates are higher than they would be for an investor-owned or other type of corporation. Right. So it's it could be showing up in different ways. And the data I saw didn't really help me answer that question. Yeah, so that's true. that's something I'd like to uh, dig into. And um, the last thing, and I mean, this kind of relates to a point I was going to make later on, but um, the reliance or the use of Debt financing in the current context makes eminent sense to me. This is an era of low interest rates. Mm -hmm. It has been for pretty much since the financial crisis, so a good 10 plus years. And uh, if I were a co-op and I needed to get some money to, to do a project or even just to kind of manage my, my more kind of day-to-day -day expenses, I'd be looking at a loan offering rather than raising equity for my members or considering an offering somehow in the exchange, um, I'd be looking at loans because they're cheap. And so that's the environment we're in. Given that the cooperatives are a type of business, and all businesses seek financing at some point, I asked our guests if there really is a difference between financing and access to capital for cooperatives and other business models. Really, I think just again to, to, to nail the point home, I think that there's not a lot of difference when it comes to debt financing, except that co-ops may be more successful in debt financing if people perceive them as, as less risky mm -hmm. because of all of the reasons I outlined previously. Mm -hmm. um, and especially for established businesses, whether it's a co-op or an investor-owned firm, I think stable businesses, there's probably not a lot of difference when it comes to debt financing, but definitely when it comes to startup and equity capital financing, that's where we're going to see um, a difference. Um, and on the startup side, um, the research that I and others conducted in the co-op innovation project at the University of Saskatchewan a few years ago did really suggest that startup funding for, for co-op businesses was less prevalent than for other traditional forms of businesses. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the there's lots of reasons for this. Um, since investors um, or venture capitalists can't make a financial return on their initial investment in a co-op in the same way that they can in other types of businesses that are investor-owned, it does make sense that more money will flow to startups that adopt traditional ownership and governance models than to co-ops um, in, in, for, for those reasons. Endless debate in the accounting literature about whether co-op equity is a liability or equity, right? Especially the member component, not the retained earnings. Everyone gets that's. Yeah. That's the co-ops, but um, these member equity instruments—it's uh, a big issue of debate. The accounting community is predisposed to seeing them as a liability, and sometimes rightfully so. And the regulators, similarly, um, the co-op community pushes back and say, "Well, we can manage that." But from a lender's perspective, they're going to take more of the accounting lens to this and saying, "There's a risk here. Yeah. There's a risk that members might get their money back." Or if you're a credit union, because um, they're part of the cooperative sector, if they are floating an investment share. And uh, a regulator would look at this and say, well, what happens if a member, after five years, often these are structured so that you can't get your money back until five years. And you go five years and say, I'd like my return back on my investment. What happens if the credit union says, I'm not going to pay, we can't pay you because it would be imprudent. Well, then, you know, can, are you provoking a panic? And then does that cause people to withdraw their money? And so from a lender's perspective, these are the kinds of things you've got to consider. And 
you might say, yeah, I'll lend you the money, but I want a premium, risk premium. Mm -hmm. The stats we've seen pertain to existing co-ops. So we asked Dion and Marc-Andre to expand on what they know about co-op startups and access to capital. So I think we don't have a lot of systematic data. And I think one of the challenges is that in startups, it's hard to know which ones tried to start up and then failed because of a lack of startup funding. Uh, The co-op innovation project we conducted at the University of Saskatchewan did identify that this was one barrier for startups. We were trying to assess what the reasons were for why we weren't seeing more co-op development in Western Canada, especially in rural and Indigenous communities. And one of the uh, constants that we heard from communities and from co-op developers was this lack of access to startup funding. And so, you know, anecdotally, um, there's some evidence that it that it uh, is difficult for co-ops to access, but it may be just as difficult for other types of startups to access um, startup funding as well. My insight would start, I kind of start from like the first principle. What I do know is that startups in general have a hard time getting money. So it would not be at all surprising to me that co-op startups have at least as hard a time getting startup funding. Uh, and, and there is research on the startup side in general. I don't think it's generally concerned with co-ops. But, you know, the reason you have the Business Development Bank of Canada, the Canada Small Business Financing Program, the Canadian Agricultural Loan Act program, the Community Futures Development Corporations, any number of provincial equivalents, regional development agencies, on and on and on. There's this huge policy infrastructure aimed at getting, helping new companies get off the ground. That's got to tell you something right out the gate. I mean, you know, maybe we, we could do a lot of data analysis, but I think the proof is... This is not one of those questions I would spend a lot of time thinking about because it, to me it's quite obvious that there's a real need here. Yeah. Um, you know, now, good academics might say, no, no, we need to ask that question. I just want to put my energy somewhere else. But I think that, 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 uh, that you know, um, predisposes me to thinking, yeah, there's a real issue there. And it's probably accentuated for the cooperative sector According to the Stats Canada data, over 64% of co-ops that acquired debt financing did so through credit unions. I asked our scholars about the importance of these cooperative financial institutions in supporting the growth of co-ops. Credit unions are absolutely integral to helping the co-op sector grow and thrive. Um, I think as financial co-ops, they inherently understand the co-op business model, the ownership and governance structure, they aren't scared off when they see these kinds of proposals coming in with this unique um, alternative um, ownership and governance structure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that wouldn't necessarily um, make them second guess the the viability of of the business. Um, And I also think that credit unions have an advantage when it comes to helping uh, finance co-ops because they have a deep knowledge of the ownership and governance structure, this gives them an advantage in being able to recognize co-ops that actually might be riskier investments Mm -hmm. than others would be. And so uh, credit unions, I think, are well positioned to be able to assess the riskiness of any particular co-op business better maybe than other lenders might be. Um, And also just their, um, you know, involvement in the co-op sector as financial co-ops, I think, gives them a unique role to play. Mm That's always been one of the benefits that credit unions or advantages that credit unions have had is they have additional information about local businesses and local people that um, larger institutions might not have. And so they can they can provide credit 
um, where there's a market failure, where there's otherwise a good business idea or a good concept or somebody who is credit worthy um, and, and worth lending money to or providing financial services to that a large organization that relies on algorithms or other kinds of information that might think some a business or someone is, is a more risky investment a credit union oftentimes because lenders are embedded in the communities um, and the credit union has a better sense of the local economy they actually have an advantage in in knowing um, which, which kinds of investments others might turn up some sense it's not surprising and this is where I want to almost dig in empirically again um, you know so where is the co-op sector strongest in Canada I think the answer is Quebec where are the most co-ops getting off the ground probably Quebec and the data I've seen anyway where is the biggest uh, credit union network is Quebec, right? So my guess is a lot of this number is Quebec. Is <laughs> Desjardins. Yeah, and they they have an explicit, I think, my, my understanding is they have pretty uh, devoted energy to lending to the co-op sector. You know, so, you know, what is this data telling us, really? And I'd love to look at it on a more regional level, and I think we'd, we'd find some interesting things. Uh, it's kind of the correlation, not a causation thing. I, and, you know, the other thing, the other point, and it's kind of related to what I was just saying about Quebec, is I think generally, historically, credit unions and co-ops almost emerged in the same geographic spaces. If you think of Saskatchewan, the, the wheat pool people were instrumental in starting the credit unions, and they, they, co, they were co-located in many cases. The, the people who started the credit unions operated out of the wheat pool office. Right, and so then, the, and the people who sat on the boards of those places probably sat on other boards of other co-ops, and so you would then expect, you know, there'd be some natural inclination to lending to co-ops, and so I think that's an advantage. That's something um, why co-op credit unions could be important. Again, I'm not sure they're disproportionately important just because of this Quebec thing, but yeah. let's say they were, I would be not altogether surprised just because of that history, because. You know, I know in my experience in Ottawa, even in Saskatoon, is the law the people who are on the co-op, the credit union boards are involved in other co-ops. And so um, they're going to be, you know, the board's not making operational decisions for the most part, um, but they're going to strategically set a direction that, you know, you, Affinity, should be open to lending the co-ops. And so I think you'd see that. And there are a handful of credit unions. I mentioned Desjardins, but Van City, Affinity, Assiniboine. Um, even where I'm from, Northern Ontario, Northern Credit Union, Alterna, um, they all have pretty kind of, they've all put their marker down on we're going to be um, supporting co-ops. And so I think I'm guessing some of what you're seeing here uh, is, is is that root of that data. And then I think, you know, there's, uh, I mentioned this, I don't want to overweight it, but they'd have, the credit unions would have at least a rudimentary understanding of the co-op. Exactly. Not maybe a hyper-developed one, but they'd, yeah. they'd get it probably a little more than your typical bank person would. Given our discussions, I wanted to know if there's a role that government can play in making sure co-ops have access to the types of financing and support they need. Well, governments um, can choose and may choose to invest money in different industries to achieve certain policy objectives. Um, and I think that any money that they do make available to other private and for-profit businesses across industries or just generally um, should be equally accessible to for-profit co-ops that are going to be operating in the same industries or providing the same types of services. Um, a person could make a case that governments should even provide special separate funding for co-op development because of maybe in the past co-ops might have been disadvantaged in accessing funding. 
and so that governments might want to make special grants and subsidies available for co-op development, um, especially if they're trying to further um, maybe more collective or social or community objectives or start businesses and, and, and spur economic development in, in places that traditionally other kinds of for-profit entrepreneurs have avoided creating businesses in because co-ops can operate often at a lower cost of capital than other types of businesses, than investor-owned firms can. Um, and so there might be a, a policy case to be made for government offering special grants and subsidies. But I do think um, I always caution, especially co-ops that want to be uh, sustainable businesses, that enterprise co-ops like investor-owned enterprise models should never become reliant on government grants and subsidies for their long-term sustainability. I think nonprofit co-ops and nonprofits are different. They will probably always rely a little bit on on donors or government grants and subsidies, but any co-op that wants to be a viable and sustainable business um, should avoid becoming reliant mm -hmm. on these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, even to um, access that, you would still want to see them have a viable business model um, to, to be able to actually try and access those kinds of subsidies and grants as well. I would hope that, that anybody adjudicating those kinds of grants would also assess whether or not it's a sustainable proposition mm -hmm. as well. I think, yes. Uh, Again, I'd like to see what how the cooperatives compare to the other types of firms. But I think if we look outside of Canada or even within Canada and what's been done creatively to support the cooperative sector, we're not, federal government's not doing much, right? So, um, you know, the case I'm a little kind of a little bit familiar with is, is Italy, where the co-ops have to put 3% of their profits into a fund that then supports development of co-ops. And that's tax deductible, right? I think there's a whole lot of creative tax policy that um, could be put in place to support the cooperative sector that frankly the sector hasn't done any work to develop research around and that's something I'd like to fix right and so credit unions um, used to have a favorable tax rate that was removed in 2013 the year after the international year of the cooperatives uh, co-ops used to be not taxed that's still the case in other countries um, so yeah for sure in the United States the cooperatives and credit unions are, are taxed exempt. And so there's a whole lot of interesting, I think, tax policy. There could be um, tax incentives for people to put money into the, uh, investments that they can hold in their RSPs. That's something Quebec does. Uh, you know, endless. On the tax policy side, endless. I think on the lending side, governments could, this is closer to my, my area of knowledge, is um, they could change risk weightings on loans that credit unions and banks make to cooperatives. So when a, when a bank or credit union makes a loan to any kind of entity, they have to hold a certain amount of capital against that loan in case it goes bad. Um, and that's a function of the what's called the risk weight on the capital, on the loan. Um, so if they reduce the risk weight, if they made the, if they said, well, you know, based on the research evidence, these co-ops are generally less risky than other types of entities, we think the risk weight should be, instead of 100%, it should be 50%. So then you only have to hold half as much as you would have otherwise against that loan, and that incents you as a credit union or even a bank to lend to the cooperative sector. So these are kind of, it's kind of in the weeds, but it could be a really big um, driver of lending to cooperatives. Um, but you know, no one's really thinking, I think, creatively about these kind of policy interventions. That's something I'd like to be um, doing at some point. <laughs> the other, I mean, the other thing is, you know, again, it goes back to this empirical question, is are we seeing 
other types of entities drawing on government funding, more or less, yeah. right? And if you found that, yes, they are, then I said, as I said, that suggests there's problems with some of these. And then I would say, well, let's strategically, uh, government can uh, direct these organizations, uh, so the BDC, the regional development agencies, the CFDCs, blah, 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 blah. They can say, strategically, we want you to put an emphasis on helping the cooperative sector. So they could say in their strategic plan, you would be able to go online and say BDC, you know, as part of their four strategic objectives for the next five years, one of them is support the cooperative sector. Right. But we don't see that, yeah. right? So um, I think there's a lot, a lot government could do. In the places where you see the vigorous cooperative sector, I think you typically see policy support. Now, I say that and I'm always mindful of principle number four. <laughs> and I don't want to be, you know, and I'm not too religiously... Uh, attached to the principles, but they have some logic to them. There's a reason they're there. You know, the autonomy and independence, you don't want to be too wedded to government. You don't want government, um, uh, if they give you too many concessions, then they might feel like they can tell you what to do, and then they can direct you, then you've, you've eroded some legitimacy you have at the community level. Um, you start to be seen as a government agency, and we've seen what that does. It doesn't work well, it doesn't work well. So I think, you know, you've got to be mindful of, yes, there's more government can do, but it's got to be, we've got to be careful of not going too far and being able to stand to some extent on our own two feet. Thank you so much for joining us. To give us your thoughts on anything we discussed in this episode, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter as at coops underscore first. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode of The Common Share. <laughs>